You're listening to Wiley Connected, a series of podcasts on tech, law, and policy. In each podcast, technology-focused lawyers at Wiley, a Washington, D.C. law firm, break down innovation and law with a uniquely D.C. perspective. Welcome to another episode of Wiley Connected. I'm Kevin Rupi, and I'm joined here today by Megan Brown and Kat Scott to talk about the latest updates in the FCC's robocall mitigation efforts. In today's discussion, we will dig into the FCC's most recent order, which further implements the stir-shaken mandate. We will then flag some of the new and far-reaching obligations that flow from that order. And we will then wrap up by discussing some general trends we are seeing in the voice ecosystem. So with that, let me turn it over to Megan Brown, who will get us started. Over the past few years, there has been a lot of FCC activity concerning the scourge of illegal and unwanted robocalls, including activity by Congress passing the TRACED Act. And that kicked off a lot of deadlines at the Federal Communications Commission, and they've been taking a lot of action to move forward on Chairman Pai's goal to constantly be moving forward on trying to empower the carriers and others. So, for example, they have um, done items related to voluntary call blocking by the carriers. They have created safe harbors for some of those activities. They have gotten to closure on pieces of the Trace Act that required them to recognize a consortium to handle traceback, which is the, the way that the industry goes and looks at calls to see who are the bad actors that might be originating bad traffic. Um, so there has been a lot of activity. Yeah, and Megan, I just gotta tell you, you you talked about Chairman Pai just moving right out of the blocks. I mean, the, the ink was not even dry uh, on the Trace Act and the FCC started moving down the road um, on multiple fronts to implement the various provisions that you talked about. I mean. We did the math and, and we looked in the dockets, we looked at what the FCC has done. Uh, this year alone, they've released over 20 items in approximately uh, five dockets. And that's, you know, there's been a total of 35 over the past two years. So they're moving along there. And, you know, these various robocall related proceedings have generated over 1,500 docket filings. It's just astounding. Yeah, and we've been sort of, as the three of us uh, are intimately familiar, we've been involved in a lot of this from a lot of different perspectives, starting well before the Trace Act, uh, when this was sort of more focused on the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, for example. But generally speaking, a lot of the FCC's activities to deal with illegal robocalls have been either narrowly tailored, like the Traceback Consortium, or what I would consider to be permissive. So sort of allowing things like call blocking, either at the carrier's discretion or at the consumer's choice. Yeah, and Megan, great point, uh, either narrowly tailored or permissive. And what we're gonna be doing a deep dive on today is the FCC's most recent order uh, from September, which is neither of those things. In very stark contrast to the FCC's preceding items, this most recent order regarding the implementation of caller ID authentication, what we all know is stir shaken. First and foremost, it includes several, emphasis on several obligations for voice service providers and intermediate providers. Uh, and notably, it even sets expectations for foreign voice service providers. The FCC's 
most recent order is extremely substantive. It's highly detailed, and it contains a lot of deadlines for voice service providers, foreign voice service providers, and intermediate providers. And at the end of the day, this order is going to significantly change the communications landscape, and it will impact every entity that is part of a voice call path, all of whom will need to take action in compliance with the FCC's new compliance obligations under this order. Yeah, so I'm really excited for you guys, Kevin and Kat, to jump into the details here. The bottom line for our listeners is that with all of this robocalling activity at the FCC, I think some folks may have started to suffer from robocalling fatigue or um, uh, that, that all of this activity, you can just sort of think that that these issues sort of get lost in the mix. But with this particular order that we're gonna talk about, I think our collective view is that would be a mistake. And so folks across the voice ecosystem, not just the giant carriers, but sort of everyone who touches uh, voice calling needs to pay attention to. That's right. So maybe let's just start with diving in to uh, the details of the order and why this does matter for everybody across the ecosystem. So. The foundation of this latest order is the caller ID authentication mandate. And this comes from the Traced Act itself. And it was first established by the commission back in March. So uh, in March, the FCC required all originating and terminating voice service providers to implement stir shaken in the IP portions of their networks. And that mandate goes into, the, into effect as of June 30th, 2021. So the clock is ticking on that requirement. With this new order, the one that was just adopted in September, the FCC builds on that mandate. So first it establishes stir shaken obligations for not just originating and terminating voice service providers, but for also intermediate providers. And this goes beyond what the Trace Act itself does. So these are folks who carry voice traffic but don't originate or terminate the traffic. The next thing that the new item does is it creates a variety of class-based extensions for originating and terminating providers. So essentially what this means is that if your organization falls into a certain class, let's say a small voice service provider, you may be afforded extra time to implement stir shaken and not have to meet that June 30th, 2021 deadline. The next thing that the item does is it sets up a process for individual providers to seek a provider specific extension. So even if you don't fall into one of those classes that the FCC created a blanket extension for, due to unique undue hardships to you as an entity, you may be eligible for an extension. And then finally, in terms of just pure stir shaken implementation, what the item does is it defines criteria for providers who have already voluntarily implemented stir shaken and therefore would be exempted from the mandate itself. Right. Thank you for that, Kat. And, you know, the, the other thing to look at here, and we'll talk in detail about these later, but the new order goes beyond some of these shake and stir implementation specifics. So, for example, it establishes obligations for all providers with respect to taking reasonable steps to develop an authentication framework, even in their non-IP networks. So we all know stir shaken is designed for IP. Providers will need to take steps in terms of developing and implementing authentication frameworks in non-IP. 
even in instances where providers receive uh, an extension uh, of their implementation deadline, they're not off the hook. Uh, this order imposes a new affirmative obligation on those providers to implement, develop and implement a robocall mitigation program. And we'll talk about that. And then the last piece, there's sort of two components to this, but the order creates something called a, a robocall mitigation database where all terminating and originating voice service providers, no matter where they are with respect to implementing stir shaken, whether they have an extension or they have implemented the standard, uh, they will have to register in a centralized FCC database to basically certify that they've either implemented the stir shaken standard or that they have a robocall mitigation program in place, or perhaps a combination of the two. But the last piece of that that is very interesting and important, the order creates a new prohibition that's tied to this registration and certification requirement that an intermediate provider or terminating voice service provider cannot accept any traffic from a provider that is not listed in that database. So, you know, that's a significant piece. Yeah, I mean, I think the bottom line really is that there's a ton to unpack in this order, and we're not going to be able to unpack it all uh, on this podcast. Uh, but one of the key takeaways is is really the, the stuff that, that Kevin was talking about, these new obligations that are certainly related to stir shake and implementation, but go beyond and, and, and really apply uh, across the board to everybody in the voice service ecosystem. So it's those items that I think we're going to try to spend the most of our time on today. And Kat, if I could just add one little note onto your comment for folks listening to this podcast, define that voice ecosystem broadly. Uh, you know, obviously the order talks about voice service providers and intermediate providers and foreign voice service providers. But that ecosystem is large. And when we're talking about things like robocall mitigation, you know, that likely has some implications for these various analytics engines that are out there that are currently doing that in partnership with various other voice service providers. Uh, when we're talking about the voice ecosystem, uh, we should also be thinking in, in the context of venture capital firms and private equity firms that, that may have interests either in voice service providers and or intermediate providers. The, the fact of the matter is this order places affirmative obligations on those types of businesses. And, you know, there is potential for uh, enforcement exposure and even impacts on business operations. So any of these entities really need to be thinking about the impact of this order. So. Kat, why don't you kind of walk us through the FCC's mandates for caller ID authentication for the various folks in here? Happy to. So on the caller ID authentication mandates, you have a, a few silos. So uh, first, you'll want to think about obligations for voice service providers and then distinct obligations for intermediate providers. And even within the voice service provider category, uh, there are different obligations for folks who operate IP networks and folks who operate non-IP networks. So like I said earlier, for IP networks, voice service providers have to implement Stir Shaken by June 30th, 2021, unless there is a relevant extension 
or exemption that you qualify for. And then, you know, so we've got the IP networks for the for the non IP networks. Uh, I guess there's good news for uh, voice service providers because they they get two choices. Choice number one is that they either upgrade their non IP network to an IP network, which is the first option, or the second option is basically to work to develop a non IP caller ID solution, as we noted before. Stir Shaken is designed and developed for IP networks. So the FCC basically says, okay, if, if you've got non-IP, a TDM network, the voice service provider needs to work to develop a, a solution for that. So Kat, why don't you walk us through that? So in practice, what this means is a lot of voice service providers, really any voice service provider that operates any portion of their network using TDM technology is going to have to meet this obligation to work to develop a non-IP caller ID solution. And the FCC itself has recognized that that's going to be the case, that they understand that a large proportion of TDM-based networks are still in use. And so it expects a lot of voice traffic to fall outside of the stir shaken mandate. And of course, as we know, there are not currently adequate alternatives at this stage for non-IP caller ID authentication frameworks. Um, and so providers are going to be working to develop those solutions and, and can do so on their own, but probably will be doing so through industry groups, consortium, standards, working groups, et cetera. Great, thanks for that, Kat. And you know, the other piece of the puzzle here, we've talked about voice service providers in both the IP and non-IP context, but the other piece of the puzzle we have here are the intermediate providers. And that is a, a pretty interesting and important angle that is addressed in the FCC's order. And the bottom line, intermediate providers must implement the stir shaken framework in the IP portions of their network by June 30, 2021. And one of the things that these intermediate providers need to be cognizant of is that first, they are not, emphasis on not subject to any of the FCC's exemptions or extensions. And number two, they cannot even apply for an extension. They were excluded from the trace act in that context and you know the fcc has basically put those rules into place for the order so that is a hard fast deadline for intermediate providers now the other important thing implementation of stir shaking looks a little bit different than you know for your typical voice service provider and what it looks like is you know basically fulfillment of their obligation to do this they have to meet certain criteria for either authenticated and or unauthenticated calls. So when those intermediate providers are sitting in the middle of the path and they receive calls falling into one of those two buckets, they basically have different criteria to meet implementation. So for authenticated calls, when they receive a call that, that has the SIP header in there, it has the stir shaking information, it's pretty straightforward. They basically have to pass that information along, first and foremost, to the next downstream provider. And importantly, they have to pass it along unaltered. So they cannot change the information in that SIP header associated with the call. 
there are very, very narrow and limited exceptions that, you know, basically the FCC realized that for both technical and emergency reasons, an intermediate provider may need to change the header information or not pass it along, and those are addressed in the order. Now, for unauthenticated calls, these are calls that, you know, basically have no stir shaken information associated with them. There's no uh, information in the in the SIP header. Basically, the intermediate provider has two choices. They can either authenticate the call consistent with whatever the industry standards are for authenticating the call. So an A level, B level, C level attestation, or if they do not want to do that, they can satisfy the FCC's criteria by participating in, in traceback. Um, because at the end of the day, that is one of the key components of the stir shaken standard is to you know, better facilitate where these calls are originating from and absent that header information associated with stir shaken, that intermediate provider um, can you know satisfy the criteria for unauthenticated calls by supporting uh, traceback? So, Kat, I think we've talked about implementation. Why don't you walk us through some of these extensions that the FCC developed for various providers? Sure, and these extensions get really complex really quickly. So, there are class-based extensions and a framework for provider-specific extensions. Each extension is different. Uh, in terms of duration, some are for a year, some are for two years, some are indefinite, and they each have different criteria. I think the takeaway here is that if your organization is interested in an extension of the stir shaken deadline to extend that requirement beyond June 30th, 2021, these are all worth paying close attention to. So the class-based extensions fall under general categories. There's one for small voice for service providers, one for providers unable to obtain stir shaken certificate, one for services that are scheduled for Section 214 discontinuance, so legacy services, and then generally an extension for providers that operate non-IP networks. And then we have, of course, the provider-specific extensions. Right. Thanks for that, Kat. And, and basically what we're talking about there is that, you know, as Kat outlined, the FCC identified certain categories of voice service providers that would receive the extension. And it affirmatively declined to provide any provider-specific extensions in its order. So what the FCC said was, if there are individual voice service providers out there that need an extension that won't be able to meet the June 30, 2021 deadline due to an undue hardship, they can apply directly to the FCC for an extension of that implementation deadline. Now, those, those applications, those extension requests are due November 20th, 2020. And I would note that the FCC, that, that is not a hard, fast deadline. But the FCC basically says that it will not look favorably on extension requests filed after that deadline if, you know, reasonable due diligence has shown that, you know, they could have met the November 20 deadline. So, you know, with that in mind, uh, I think any providers that are looking for an extension 
need to keep that fast approaching deadline at top of mind. So even with these various extensions, whether it's individual provider or by category providers, in any event, any entity with an extension has to implement what's called a robocall mitigation program. And it seems to me, Kevin, this is not really a check the box kind of exercise. Um, this is a fairly new and it seems to me important and substantive set of obligations for the voice service community and the whole ecosystem. So can you give the listeners a little bit of a sense of what a robocall mitigation program looks like? Sure. Now, Megan, that's a great point. And I cannot reiterate enough the importance of this requirement. As you noted, and it's absolutely correct, uh, this is not a check-the-box exercise. This is not throwing something together, putting it in a file cabinet. There really needs to be some thought, and you are every provider is affirmatively filing this robocall mitigation program with the FCC to the extent uh, they've received an extension. But at a really high level, the FCC's robocall mitigation program, uh, the FCC takes what it calls a non-prescriptive approach to this, to this requirement. So what that means for parties who are listening to this call, there is no cookie cutter solution to the robocall mitigation program. Each provider is basically going to need to look at their networks, their traffic, their customers, how they're operating, and really tailor that program specific to the type of network and customers that they they have. So, you know, for example, uh, you know, when we talk about a non-prescriptive approach, the FCC is not going to require all providers to block calls on their networks. However, you know, that may be one component for certain providers. Uh, so, you know, for example, if a provider is only originating uh, calls, they may not really need to be blocking calls on their network, but to the extent they're transiting some of these calls or they have a lot of enterprise callers, they'll they'll really need to, to think through that. Yeah, that's right. This is a non-prescriptive robocall mitigation program that is required, but there is one exception to that, right? So where the FCC is not going to require every single provider to do any uh, one thing when it comes to blocking or labeling or know your customer practices, it does say that every single voice service provider that is subject to an extension, with that little caveat, must participate in traceback. As part of any reasonable robocall mitigation program, you have to cooperate with the entities that are investigating illegal robocallers that use your service to originate bad Calls. And for the most part, that's going to be the newly stood up robocall traceback consortium, but also it could be from the commission or, or law enforcement. Great. Yeah. And, you know, look, traceback, I think, is a cornerstone and a key component of the FCC's robocall efforts. And, you know, just so folks are aware of what we're talking about here, when we talk about participating in traceback, Generally speaking, what the FCC is expecting there is, as Kat noted, that, that any voice service provider that receives a traceback request from the industry traceback group responds fully and in a timely manner to those requests, whether it's from your traceback group or the FCC or law enforcement. 
and they really do have to, you know, basically cooperate with those efforts to mitigate calls on their networks to the extent they're originating from there. So Kevin, what, yeah. what happens if a carrier doesn't participate fully? Yeah, that's, so that's a great question. Quick backtrack, the FCC, one of the first things they did when Trace Act passed, they established the Traceback Consortium selection process. U.S. Telecoms Industry Traceback Group was selected, and they have policies and procedures that they publish that address that issue. And basically, voice providers that do not cooperate, that do not respond, they will be designated as a non-cooperative voice service provider, which from the sounds of it is obviously not a good thing. <laughs> um, the other thing you need to be thinking about there is that in previous orders, uh, the FCC has been talking about giving authorization to downstream carriers to basically block all traffic, not just robocall traffic, but all traffic uh, from, from carriers like that that uh, receive such a designation. So it's obviously uh, extremely important uh, for providers to participate and, and support these efforts. And let's talk just a little bit about what these, how the FCC is going to superintend these robocall mitigation programs, because it's, you know, it's pretty remarkable to me that there's now an obligation to have, quote, detailed practices that can reasonably expected to reduce the origination of illegal, illegal robocalls. What are the teeth that go with that? I mean, who's looking over their shoulder to see if those are, you know, effective or detailed enough? Yeah, that's a good question. So part of it is in this new, uh, part of the answer that is, is in this new robocall mitigation database. So for every single voice for service provider that is subject to an extension and has to implement one of these robocall mitigation programs, they have to submit that to the FCC in this new robocall mitigation database. And that submission has to include the details of the program. The robocall mitigation program will be, of course, subject to Enforcement Bureau review from the FCC. And if the FCC deems one of the robocall mitigation programs to be insufficient, right, you're not taking reasonable steps to stop illegal traffic from originating on your network, uh, they can come in and impose more specific and prescriptive obligations than what the, the current setup is. So there really is some teeth behind this obligation. Um, like most policies, it's not something that you can just create and then put the bed. You really have to do something that's adequate and then you have to follow through with it and do what it is that you say you're doing. Great, and you know, so with that, I think you've, you've hit the, the key high points on the, the robocall mitigation program, Kat. And let's just pause and you know, emphasize the fact that you know, if, if you have an extension, uh, whether class-based or specific, you gotta come up with one of these plans. And the FCC is gonna be holding parties accountable to ensure that they are following through on the plans that they implement. And you know, the other piece of this puzzle that I think we wanna get to next, we, we've talked about the plan, the robocall mitigation plan uh, the other piece of this is this robocall mitigation database that, you know, is, is obviously a, a key component 
and contains some fascinating frameworks that we'll and, talk about now. Yeah. And Kevin, what struck me is that this whole new framework is much broader than I think people would have expected, right? It applies to all these voice service providers. It applies to all these intermediate providers that you and Kat have described, but I, explain how this applies potentially or arguably to foreign voice service providers, because as we know, telecommunications traffic doesn't sort of start and stop at geopolitical borders. The traffic that is often vexing to the FCC and to consumers originates often overseas. So how is this actually reaching out to some of these foreign providers? What does this look like? Yeah, so that's a great point, Megan. And even though you didn't say it, and so our audience is aware, it's not the Foreign Communications Commission, it's the Federal Communications Commission. Uh, they lack jurisdiction over foreign voice service providers. But at the end of the day, it's an interesting angle that the FCC takes. They, they actually state in the order that they don't require foreign voice service providers to file a certification and robocall mitigation plan in the robocall mitigation database. But if those foreign voice service providers are using NAMP resources, North American numbering plan numbers, US numbers, if they want that traffic to be terminated in the United States, they need to file in the database. So, you know, essentially, the FCC is not requiring them to, but to the extent they're a legitimate business and they want that traffic terminated, they're going to need to file because their hook is really on the domestic providers that accept that traffic from overseas. So this is how the FCC is creating this incentive, which is they're tagging the domestic terminating carriers with the obligation not to accept traffic. But I guess that means that vo foreign voice service providers are still going to need to interact with the FCC and get something on file, even if they otherwise would not normally be filing things with our Federal Communications Commission. That's exactly correct. And, you know, but again, just to emphasize, this is only for vo foreign voice service providers that are using North American numbers, U.S. numbers. If they're passing traffic that has a U.K.-based phone number in there or, a, you know, uh, pick your country, this issue doesn't apply. You know, one other thing about this whole discussion on the, the foreign voice service providers, the FCC's order does note that there were some in industry who are concerned about this and concerned about the practical implications of the FCC implementing this framework in that it could potentially interfere with existing contracts or call completion. So, you know, the example basically is that you have an American subscriber to a U.S.-based wireless company. They are overseas. They make a phone call. And depending on how that call gets routed, it could theoretically go through, for example, a, a foreign voice service provider that is not registered in the database and their call won't complete. The FCC acknowledged these concerns, but basically said, you know, look, if, if any of these technical issues arise, they can share it with the commission and we'll go from there. But it, it, at the end of the day, the FCC is full steam ahead on this framework. So. With that, you know, I think we've covered um, 
just about everything in the order. There, there were a couple of things relating to voluntary exemptions, which are sort of more narrow in terms of application. But that's basically the, the high points of, of this order. Yeah, and this order really marks a, a pretty significant turning point from our perspective in the FCC's robogall mitigation efforts. You know, for years, the commission has taken a largely permissive approach, sort of nudging and empowering carriers and others, putting, you know, encouraging consumer tools and consumer choice. But it's really now backed by the TRACED Act, requiring very specific actions that are, you know, a, a large set of new regulatory obligations that folks are going to have to heed that will have teeth attached to them. And we see this trend in some current proposals as well. Uh, the FCC recently had a further notice of proposed rulemaking out in the call blocking proceeding. And there, the FCC had proposed a variety of new requirements on voice service providers, including across the board traceback requirements and the imposition of obligations to, so it's called know your customer, um, among other things. So we are seeing a turning point in how the FCC has approached this over the past several years as they've been trying to get their hands around robocalling and um, illegal and unwanted calls that you know, are eroding some trust in the voice service ecosystem. Yeah, no, and that's, you know, definitely the big picture here and, you know, a lot of moving parts in the broader robocall context. But with respect to this specific order, you know, what does this mean for the various uh, individual companies and voice service providers out there? A lot of things to take in. I mean, first, uh, there are new call authentication requirements for everyone, and this includes originating and or terminating voice service providers, intermediate providers, as well as operators of both IP and non-IP networks. Secondly, there are affirmative obligations resulting from this order uh, for these various entities to register and certify uh, with the commission through this new robocall mitigation database. Similarly, there is this new requirement that, that voice service providers, and to include foreign voice service providers, develop and file with the FCC a robocall mitigation plan. And, you know, in tandem with that, as a part of that, we have this new prohibition that basically who voice providers and intermediate providers can accept traffic from uh, to include foreign voice service providers. So, you know, for folks listening to this podcast, you will, you know, these companies will definitely need to closely review their various agreements uh, that implicate this type of traffic, such as foreign roaming agreements, or, you know, even legitimate enterprise customers that are operating from overseas. And last but not least, th this order establishes a lot of hard, fast deadlines including a fast approaching deadline for any voice service providers that are seeking an extension of the stir shaken deadline. So at the end of the day, a lot of moving parts uh, in this order. And given the complexity, given the importance, it is important that companies, regardless of where they fall in the, the voice ecosystem, heed this order. And, and we are obviously, our team here at Wiley is obviously happy to help. And we certainly have the expertise here to, to, to the Wiley help Connected you all podcast brought uh, get to you through by the attorneys at Wiley. Significant if you enjoyed this episode of Wiley Connected, we encourage you to subscribe, 
rate, and leave a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For additional resources and materials, head over to WileyConnect.com. Thank you for listening. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Wiley Ryan LLP and its employees. The material contained in this podcast is not intended to be and is not considered to be legal advice. Transmission is not intended to create and receipt does not establish an attorney-client relationship.